0: Thirty-six, a very short scripture. This helps you understand. A number of the parables have sheep in them. And uh, one of the most enduring pictures for us of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our King, our lover, Jesus, the one who saved us, is that of a shepherd. And you can even see it in the first David. Jesus was called the son of David. So there were many things that were revealed in David's heart that were early pictures of, of the Messiah that would come, the Savior. And uh, we see that even in um, the 91st Psalm. And we also see it in other sections. Of course, the 23rd Psalm is the great one, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But in Matthew nine thirty-six, we see a real picture of Jesus' heart. It says this, this is King James but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. I want to actually deal with a parable that we all know about. I'm going to sit and hopefully, as short as I am, you hardly notice a difference. Okay, that's pretty good. This is the parable of, we call it the 90 and nine or all kinds of stories but this actually appears twice we know it appears in matthew and it appears in the gospel of luke and my opinion is they're two separate times have you guys ever noticed that sometimes you'll you'll preach or say the same thing maybe you're dealing with your kids and you'll say the same thing uh, it'll come off in a parable thing it's it's those things that kids want to blow off when they're told can you guys think of one? What's a little parable thing that you were told in a little rhyme, and you know you didn't want to believe it? and Now you're using it on your kids. Shout out one of them. Uh huh. <laughs> well, you're getting it. You're getting it. Well, this appears twice, and I'm going to read them each. Matthew 18, verses 10 through 13. I'm going to read this from the NIV. This is called by the NIV uh, editors the parable of the wandering sheep. I'm emphasizing that because the next one we read out of Luke is called the parable of the lost sheep. Different emphasis. Jesus was very careful when he taught these truths about the kingdom. He adjusted them for the audience he's dealing with. In Matthew 18, verses 10 through 13, that whole chapter, Jesus is dealing with squabbling disciples. They've already got some time under their belts. They've been walking with Jesus, he's delegated authority to them. They're starting to feel like they're all that in a bag of chips. In fact, they're starting to argue who's going to be number one. He got that question. In the, when your kingdom completely comes, who's going to be number one? And so, uh, <clears throat> he's also, they were actually arguing about it in this case, in Matthew and hadn't actually said anything to Jesus. In fact, when he asked him about it and confronts it, what are you guys talking about? He's really meaning, what are you guys squabbling about? You know, like a bunch of school kids while we're walking. They didn't answer him. So he just launched in without waiting for their answer and started giving them some parables and dealing with their problem. So he has some competitive, jealous disciples. They're getting judgmental, and they're pretty prideful now. He confronts them and says this in Matthew 18:10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, talking about the ordinary people they're working with. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. In that particular context, he had pulled some children out of a crowd, set them on his knee, and he is making a very clear point about the heart of God, Toward people. And this is, I've emphasized this for people in leadership for over a decade. Because every time I get ministers or pastors or whatever frustrated with the sheep, and it can happen, you can get nasty sometimes. Sometimes you get nipped by your own sheep, and so then you get a little uppity and you want to snap back at them. And I'll share this parable. So Jesus goes on, he warns that these little ones isn't just speaking about. Children, It's speaking about any human being that's relating to God to the best of their ability and they may have flaws. And he's warning these guys, these leaders. He's saying, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. Now you guys know if you have three kids and one wanders off and you find that one child, you make more over that one child for a while than you do with the two that stayed put and didn't get lost. Doesn't mean you love them more. But at that moment, because they were rescued from potential harm, recovered from potentially being lost, there's great rejoicing going on. He's making a point to these disciples. You're not all that in a bag of chips. I love you, but you're out of line. You need to get your attitude in check. In Luke 15, we're gonna read this again, Luke 15, one through seven, there's a whole different emphasis. In this context, he's surrounded by losers. There's a big deal. In the parables, you see losers and winners, losers and winners. And in all of the parables, God is after the loser. And he's really not too interested in the winners. And in Luke 15, he is... Uh, well, it actually describes who he's surrounded by and he describes who is confronting him and judging him and criticizing what's going on. We're going to start right in Luke 15. And I I say, uh, yeah, it's chapter 1, chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners, these are people that he wasn't supposed to be hanging around with according to strict religion. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus But the Pharisees and teachers of the law, that's the religious elite, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Remember, a parable has truths of the kingdom. And the kind of attitudes you bring to that truth determine whether you're accurately understanding it or completely missing the picture. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. It sounds familiar. It's got the same core to it. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And then he got very serious. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons persons who did not need to repent. Remember, this sounds a little different because he was in a different situation and he is bringing a different message. I want to talk about this because we need to see the kingdom in all that we do. As you go through the parables of Jesus in your own study, and I encourage you to do it, Jesus will link many times when you're trying to explain a concept to somebody in your family you'll tell the same story three times what makes kids go oh no not a lecture go ahead and whip me or do something not the lecture not the lecture because they're going to get it you're going to tell them something three different ways to make sure they got what you're after that's what jesus is doing here he went went on and did a parable of the coin and then on some other things all linked trying to look at the same situation from several different angles to make sure his hearers had a shot at getting it. He is making a point to his critics, his religious know-it-alls. He wasn't gonna get through to them, but he rebuked them, not so much for their good, but for the good of the people around him who were losers. He was making a point about the love of God for people who are losers. And frankly, we're all losers. You guys remember the scriptures that tell us There is none righteous, nobody is holy. We all have to be redeemed. On your best day, your best behavior, your best religious duty, it's filthy rags in God's sight. Not because we're just, just because that's the best we can do. We need God's help from beginning to end and that's the point he's making. These guys won't get it, they were just mad. They knew something was coming down that made them look bad. But he's also trying to emphasize something to the hurting and to the humble. So Jesus said that we, unless we become like little children, we can't enter the kingdom. That means lay down your rights and privileges. How many of us from, you know how it is, when you're, once you can walk, then you want desperately to enter the inner circle of people who can ride bikes especially if you have an older brother, older sister, man, I can't wait till I can ride a bike. Then it's, you want some other privileges. Man, I can't wait till I'm old enough and I can stay up and stay up later. Or then it's wanting a car. You know, I want, I want my driver's license. And you want, once you enter that holy circle of of driving, then you want some other stuff. And it just goes on and on. And Jesus comes to all of us in all of our area. You know, if you if you fight through and, You can't wait till you graduate, you get a degree or a GED, that's one thing. Then you go to college, you can't wait till you get your degree, because that's going to be the end of everything. Whatever we're proud of, God wants us to lay it down and come to him from scratch. And then he'll break and bless whatever we have in our lives and maybe give it back to us. That means our gifts, our abilities, our strengths but we all have to come that way. The things of the kingdom can only be discerned by the spirit of God, they cannot be thought through. There are theologians today that have advanced PhDs, maybe two or three of them, who don't really believe, they don't really have the Lord. So they can do incredible analytic studies of the original languages, of context and how things are put together, but the bottom line is when it comes down to the core things, they still consider the miracles of the scriptures myth because they cannot accept the fact there is anything supernatural in the world. A good section of the theological world is in that group right now. That's why you have to understand who you're reading, where they're coming from, what their understandings are. And we get back to these very simple things. There are two all-important focuses both times Jesus gave this parable. The love of God toward losers, I've talked about that, even when they wander off foolishly, even when it's our fault, which it almost always is. We've done something goofy. The, um, and secondly is the importance of those sheep to him. And you can always add this other thing. One of the big dangers in, in the kingdom today is we have gone so far to emphasize how much God loves us individually, we've forgotten the role of the body. A third add-on is, if you notice, Jesus always brings the sheep back to the pack. He rejoins them to the body. That's why we need to be part of the church of Jesus Christ by belonging to a local body somehow. He makes it so we only get our nutrients, we only get our maturity by bumping up against each other, being involved in something bigger than us and doing it together. I'll get into that a little bit later. It'll be pretty fun watching what God says he'll do with us. In the Old Testament, we see a picture even. Sometimes you don't realize the Old Testament contains virtually all of the revelations that are, that are exploded and made simple in the New Testament. For instance, this idea that God loves to reach out to losers. You remember the scripture, um, a broken and contrite heart, O Lord, thou wilt not despise, pardon me, my memory's in King James. I need to kick it over to the newer ones. But God has always had a special heart for the brokenhearted, and he's never been able to swallow pride. He just cannot handle us with pride. So he likes to call losers, not winners. Now, he allows us to win. In fact, once you come to him, he begins to build you up on the inside, helps you find what you were built for anoint you and what you were born to do and you have constant wins but at that point you have enough sense to constantly lay at his feet and say thank you lord to you be all the glory and we live our lives in a humble state a joyful state and yet knowing who we are but that balance doesn't come until first we lay everything at his feet over and over and over again he knows us you guys, we can, we can step on stage and receive an award for humility of the year and in that moment lose it have to give the t- trophy back. You ever done that? I want to thank you that I'm so humble and uh, thank you for this award today. Someday you can reach the level that I have reached in humility and then we can have a humble group together. Wouldn't that be great? Let me get back to the scriptures. I'm losing it here. We see this picture of Jesus going after lost sheep. If you want to see, I think probably the most important picture of Jesus and his New Testament ministry came to me from the Old Testament scriptures. Because Jesus, I noticed early on, even as a teenager, when I I looked to see what was the first thing Jesus did when he officially launched his ministry as an adult, what did he do? Well, he went into his hometown synagogue. He stepped up to read the scriptures and it's as part of a classic synagogue service and they handed the scroll of Isaiah to him and he turned to Isaiah 61 and he quoted Isaiah 61:1 through 7 or 1 through 6 and we see that in Luke 4. So let's turn to Luke 4. I'm going to read this from the Message Bible. Luke chapter 4 verses 18 through 21. This is the heart of God. This is was the description of what the Messiah would do when he came. And Isaiah was speaking under the anointing of a prophet. And so he begins to speak. these. look at, this doesn't look like, I'm just going to read it. Listen to the people he's called to. He doesn't even go beyond this list. I'm going to start with verse 16 because it gives you background. He came to Nazareth where he had been reared. As he always did on the Sabbath, he went to the meeting place. When he stood up to read, he was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, God's spirit is on me. He's chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor. Sent me to announce pardon to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. To set the burdened and battered free. To announce this is God's year to act. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the assistant, and sat down. Every eye in the place was on him, intent. Then he started in. You've just heard scripture make history. It came true just now in this place. That's because the Messiah, the only begotten Son of God, who is prepared before the foundations of the world, sat down, opened the the scroll of the prophet and decreed this is fulfilled in me and i'm here for these people this is repeated over and over in different ways throughout the new testament and the life and ministry of jesus he was called to losers it may offend you but i'll probably you know losers are us well just put it over there we almost when we thought about uh, several times we've prayed, Lord, about the name of the church and what we should be, and not just when we moved here, but even in our previous location, we almost put something over the door just said the perfect place for imperfect people because that's our heart. The church, the only kind of people Jesus has to work with are imperfect people. There just aren't any other kind. If you're having trouble with imperfect leaders, get used to it. It's the only kind we have. Just ordinary people with an extraordinary God. He's the kind of God that loves to show his strength through our weaknesses and our failures. And we'd love it to be different. It would be so great if we could crow a little bit and if we could just wear the epaulets and the uniforms and the big hats and and show off and it'd be great for us. The people have to watch it be overthrowing up in a corner, but you know, but it's just not that way. God rules the upside-down kingdom. Everything is inverted. He who would be greatest among you, let him be the servant of all. It's the upside-down kingdom. The parables reveal the hidden kingdom in the midst of a fallen world. And that's why we need to look at these parables in K-Cups, and we'll get the picture. It's little pieces that have a lot of truth in them. So let me get to this. This reveals, again, the kind of people Jesus came to minister to. He came for lost sheep. He came for wandering sheep. He came for imperfect sheep. Devin said something. I think, I don't know if he was quoting if it was his own words uh, last week, but he said this. It's a complicated quote, but it's worth going through. He said in the parables we find a picture of God as one whose care and love lead him to action to unprejudiced invitation into his plan. I think he is quoting a scholar it sounds kind of like a scholar statement. And that's actually what the message bible said while translating Luke 4 This is God's year to act. He told us ahead of time, hundreds and thousands of years ahead of time, what he was going to do, how he's going to set us free. Then he sent Jesus. Jesus came in exact fulfillment of all of the prophecies and it looked so different from what people expected, they missed it. Tommy Tenney once was describing the uh, procession of Jesus when he went through the gate, beautiful, and everybody was greeting him and throwing palm trees in front and, and laying their cloaks there. And, and the way he put it, he said, Jesus, the Jesus parade went right past the front of the temple. The people were celebrating the coming of Messiah. Even if they didn't understand everything, they thought he was going to set them free from Rome. He wasn't. But they were at least celebrating him. Meanwhile, the religious leaders of Israel were inside plotting how to kill the Son of God, who had come to set them free. We can really miss what God's doing. He looks so different from what they expected. They expected something uh, uh, they expected the gladiator to come and set them free by physical force or dramatic miracles. But if you notice... The miracles of Jesus shifted. That's one thing that I think Devin was making a point. Jesus' early miracles had, they were powerful signs and wonders that caused people to ooh and aah and they wanted to follow him to see if they could get more free food, handouts, of course, get healed and delivered. But then later, a lot of his miracles became more private and more personal. He was trying to drive some things home about the kingdom. last page that's good news for you one of the scholars that's uh, done the most work in the parables has now gone to be with the Lord his Episcopal priest who really loved the Lord with all his heart it's clear from his writings he he got it at least part of it he he would even refuse to claim that he got it because that's part of the problem the minute we think we've nailed down something we we don't have a clue if we're learning and we know we're always going to be learning, we're doing all right. But he classified the losing categories of the Lord's kingdom parables into five categories. And you, these will sound familiar. If you know anything about the, the, the parables, this will sound familiar. Jesus addressed his parables. See if this fits you in how many ways. How many of these five do you fit into? He was interested in the last He was interested in the least. He was interested in the lost. He was interested in the little. And he was interested in the dead. And by the time Jesus was done with them, he made the last first. He made the least the greatest. He made the lost found. He made the little big. And he made the dead miraculously alive wherever Jesus goes he takes those which are low and he makes them high what does the scripture say humble yourself before almighty God so that in due season he will lift you up or exalt you he loves to take us I think you relate I really relate to that this parable of I don't know why they said the 99 it should be the one because he left the 99 in a safe place Jesus didn't get into all the details. Well, did they have a pin around them? Were they properly covered or was he an irresponsible parent? You know, should we, should we call the authorities? I mean, he's just leaving these sheep. What's he, what's he doing? He assumed we had enough brains to concentrate on the most important thing. The important thing was the 99 were okay. He's going to go retrieve the one that's not. Everyone in here is one of those ones. I don't know how it happened with you, but I know he tracked me down through my mess. He loved me through my garbage. He waded through my pride and all of the cover to cover up my hidden weaknesses. You guys, you can be 6'5", solid wall of muscle, tough as nails, and inside be dying. You know that. You can be the smallest, apparently weakest person in the room, and you can be the one who stands in a time of crisis. Everyone looks to you because you've got an answer. You've got something they desperately need. We serve the upside-down God. Just as soon as we think we're something, he helps us understand, no, 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 that's a gift to you. Do not put it on a pedestal. Just use it. I gave you as a gift to other people. Now... Be, just be what I called you to be. I want to show you a glimpse of what God can do with losers, especially when they're together. I'm going to take you right back to the same prophet. It's actually the second half of the second part of the prophecy in Isaiah 61. Remember, Jesus launched his ministry with a quote from Isaiah 61 describing the people he was anointed to reach in Isaiah 61 the second half of verse 3 through 4 I'm going to read the message Bible listen to what this band of losers does it says in the message Bible rename them oaks of righteousness planted by God to display his glory now understand He's talking about us prophetically, everyone who is touched by the Son of God. They'll rebuild the old ruins. They'll raise a new city out of the wreckage. They'll start over on the ruined cities, take the rubble left behind, and make it new. That's us. When we come to him, we come to him as losers, but we don't stay there. We just need to always have that humble attitude. We're losers made into wieners but i love the fact that god takes us completely with our mess ups with our failures with our screw-ups with our endless excuses i don't know about you if you have a, a an irish tongue or a portuguese tongue or english or whatever tongue you got i can guarantee you it goes too long and you have lots of excuses with all that god loves us on your worst day god loves you as much maybe more as on your good day because on your best day unfortunately you probably know it and you're more difficult to live with for him he loves us anyway he loves us with our stinkiness our stupidness he loves us with our attitudes he doesn't let us stay there he loves us too much he is the God who says if you're my kid I will correct you The important thing is understand we're talking about the kingdom. Every parable gives us a picture of his kingdom, of how it can be, of how it's supposed to be, of how you can be. I want to encourage you, Jesus knew when he shared these, even in his humanity, because you know it was like uh, one of the talk show hosts, you know, he says with half his brain tied behind his back. Well, Jesus, with His divinity tied behind His back, chose to go through life with the same resources you and I have. So He knew things, but He didn't know all things on purpose. He had to discover even who He was through prayer like you and I do, through fasting like you and I do, by slowing down, spending time, maybe spending the entire night in prayer where God revealed things for the next day. Jesus even explained, I think it was in John 15, said, I only, I only say the things I hear my father saying to me. I only do the things I see my father doing. So the Lord gave him his marching orders a day at a time, a week at a time, a month at a time. If Jesus hadn't done that, if he hadn't done those basics like you and I have to do today he wouldn't have been able to fulfill his calling and he wouldn't have fully discovered who he was because he purposely lived life as a human being so that he would know how it felt and he could accurately say, I am the son of man. I lived as a human being. I didn't cheat. When he worked those miracles, he did not cheat. He didn't just, you know... uh take off his robe as a person and put on a superman tool belt and suddenly do all these miracles and then put it back in a closet he acquired those powers that he had even though he was fully god he was fully man he limited himself he used the same tools to show that it could be done the one difference he had is he didn't have sin but he still had human limitations so anyway While he's doing that, I believe that he knew as he shared these things, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, he knew they would be available for us today. So this parable about the 90 and 9, it has several focuses for us that I want us to get in the kingdom, and I'm really done with this part. Jesus loves us and pursues us even when we wander off. I don't encourage you to go wandering, it's always painful. It always has consequences, but he will pursue us like crazy. He loves us that much. C.S. Lewis used to say that only God could be so humble that he would scrabble in the bloody mud outside of a bar to retrieve us. He's so humble in the way he proceeds. When it's Almighty God, we would say, you know, just squash him like a bug. You're such a pain in your ear and squash it, you know. That's not the way he does. He loves us so much, he puts up with our stuff. As ministers sometimes, you know, you, I have one minister friend that's a missionary, and he's an apostle, and he's pretty blunt and to the point, and his, he does not have the gift of Counseling. And so if you come to him, you know, he cuts you off at the knees. It's not, he's not a pastor. There's not, not a pastor bone in his body. And so he knows that. He surrounds himself with people who are pastors, who will take the people that he leads to the Lord, and then he, will, he, he turns them over to them, and they will love them through their stuff. But if they come to him with an issue, hmm, he'll say, that's stupid. Don't do it. Next that's his counseling session, you know. So I, I, but this, the parables, he also used those because his disciples were present for those. He taught them how to pastor the flock of God. And all of you are pastors in the sense that you all have friends, spouses, you have children, neighbor children, complete strangers that God will send in your path and he will call you to be patient and show the same kind of mercy God shows toward you when you would really rather show them the error of their ways, hit them with a big plaque word that says, turn or burn sucker. I, I sometimes wonder how people witness to the world with signs that condemn them to hell. If the scriptures say, remember John 3.16, we love to quote that, but we don't quote what follows after that. For God so loved the world, the world... The cosmos, the the fallen, screwed-up place, this planet Earth, he so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But then it goes on to say, for he came not to condemn the world, but that through them they might be saved. So how in the world do we get off feeling we can make signs to condemning what even Jesus, the perfect Son of God, did not condemn? I always wonder how we could be so pompous. You know, I'd, I'd rather say, hey, I'm so screwed up and if Jesus loved me, believe me, he loves you. That might work. That might even open a conversation with well, just how screwed up are you? Well, let me tell you. I was really messed up. Let me tell you my story and how Jesus, that's a perfect intro. Tell him the story how Jesus saved your life. Guys, the parables teach us the heart of God and it also reveals the hidden kingdom. If you begin to walk as a member of the kingdom of God, it'll seep into you. Remember the Lord's prayer. He he taught it as a pattern. If you pray every day, "Lord, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth in my life today as it is in heaven," it'll change the way you live. You start changing. You start living with a gentleness. You don't have to be a wimp. Guys, you can still, you know, pound earth. You can still do stuff be rough. Lift those weights, the whole thing. But what will attract people is the love you have for them. If God has given you good looks as a blessing, use them for the king. Hey, it's a gift from God. On the other hand, if like me, he gave you just great physique, then use it for the kingdom in miniature. Uh... Use whatever God gave you, but understand you're a part of a powerful kingdom and there is a force that flows through your body. So I get irritated that Star Wars is so doggone accurate in so many things, you know, from people who didn't even know the Lord, but there is a force that flows through you. It's not an equal force. It's not equally good, not equally evil. It's the force of the power of God flowing through you. At any given time, god can pull out any gift described in the new testament if you're the only person present and a miracle needs to take place he will take the one person that will say yes and use them with or without your collar turned backwards with or without knowledge and i want to encourage you you know we've said this and we really mean it and if we ever forget it you guys have permission to remind us that the, according to Ephesians 4, all of the ministry gifts, the fivefold ascension gifts, whatever the fancy term you want to apply, I just call them the equipping gifts. We're here, apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher, we're here for one reason to equip the saints for the ministry. That's what the scriptures say, not me. So the saints do the ministry. And the saints are not people on pedestals who are dead. The saints are people who have been redeemed by Jesus and have God living on the inside of them. And that's you and me. We all get up in the morning with the same resources. God, he gives you breath, use the breath. Each day he gives us as a gift and he wants you to take the kingdom into your world. That's how the kingdom expands. I, don't, I think if, if I want you to get anything at all through this, when I came in the building today, I just sensed his gentleness. It almost, you know, I, I don't like to admit that I cry once in a while, but, man, I kept wiping away tears. What in the world is this thing, this leak's going on here. That's going to be embarrassing. I don't want the guys to think I'm a wimp. I've got to drink black coffee this morning. But his presence has been here in a special way. You know, we know his presence is always there. But there are times when he just somehow makes it apparent to us. Allows, allows our emotions to be touched. And his presence is here very strong. And that makes me f- suspect. I, it makes me suspect that God had some of you in mind this morning. Some of you have come in here with the snot beat out of you. I don't know where from. Whether it's your failures or people been treating you like garbage, I have no idea. I don't claim to know those things all the time. God lets me see it once in a while, just enough so I don't get a big head, and then he shuts it off. But his presence is so precious, and you need to understand whether you're a hunky guy or a beautiful lady or someone who feels like you're just a dog... In God's eyes, you're his sheep. You're precious. He created you with a perfect plan in mind. And he is able to clean up any mess we have made. He is able to lift you out of any pit you have fallen into or been thrown into. I don't care if you grew up in the most abusive home when you were treated in a terrible way by people who should have known better. Or if you were one of the people treating other people that way. God has the power and the love to set you free Amen. and to give you a fresh start. That's really the, the message about the parable of the 99. It's short. It's to the point. It has barbs on it for people that are uppity. It has... Um, a trimming mechanism on it for believers who should know better and you're getting a little high on your ego. But most of all, it is saturated in love. For all of us who fail, I don't know about you, but I fail. I I am a Christian by grace. He helps me. I am a pastor by double grace because perfection was a qualification for being a pastor. I'm out because I'm not. Every single day. Lord, I can't believe I did that. Please forgive me. I can't believe I acted that way. I can't believe I am so irritated I didn't even say hi to those people in Walmart. But I'm ticked off and I don't want to. You ever had days like that? You can lose people in a church by doing that. (laughs) Father, I pray that your will be done this morning. You love us and Lord, your word says that the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord and Lord, in plain English, that means wherever we go, you're there. So I pray for healing. In Jesus' name, I release hope to the hopeless. And I declare to the loser It's time for a win in Jesus. Lord, to the one who thinks it's too late this morning, I say it's never too late. The Lord is here and he knows your name. You're not here by accident. This is your time. I like to call uh, our prayer team up. You guys can stand if you want. You can sit, whatever you want to do but I just want to speak to you just for a moment. Some messages we can give and just send you home because it's time for you to go study the scriptures and go deeper and let the Lord speak to you directly, heart to heart. Then there's some times that he shares things because he knows people are are there that need to be touched. We're people. And God's plan is that He uses people. Sometimes all we need to make it through a day is just somebody's hug or just a wink or something. We need some communication from other people to reassure us it's going to be all right. We're just wired that way. That's the way God made us. And that's why He puts us together. In the Old Testament, our Father God is called. The Father who puts the lonely in families. He knows us. We need each other. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to do what all of us have done at one time or another. If this is one of those days, one of those weeks, where you need someone to pray with you, you just need someone's hug or someone's just someone to be there and look you in the eyes and say it's going to be all right. We have people here to pray with you that have been there, done that. There's not a perfect person standing up front. Every one of us has scars. Every one of us has a whole string of failures that has been washed away by the love of Jesus. So I wanna encourage you. We're gonna just bow our heads for a moment and this is your time.